Let's pray together. Father, would you open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. Father, would you help us to know more of your kindness tonight? Not just know it in our heads, but deep down in our hearts so that that's what we start to live out of. So Lord, help us to know your kindness. And then Lord, out of that, would you make us a kind people? people who show kindness and grace and love to any and all that you put around us, regardless of what response we'll get. God, make us like you, that our, our, our kindness and our grace wouldn't be dependent on the other, but would be deeply rooted in the good news of Jesus. So Lord, do that work in us tonight for your glory and for our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Young, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, worship team. It is, it is truly one, one of the highlights of my week to just come and worship with y'all and listen to you guys sing. Y'all sound beautiful, and, and it's a privilege beyond words to be able to worship together in his presence. So thanks for coming out and worshiping with us. So you're going to hear a little bit later about summer conference. And there's nothing better that, that RUF as an organization does than, than our time at summer conference. It, so when Kayla talks about it, man, I want, I want you thinking about, can you go and, and would you go? Um, it's, a, it's a great time. It's a week on the beach. I'm not even a beach lover and I love summer conference because you get great time in learning from the Bible, get good time like this with, with other folks, like a thousand other folks like this, um, and then all afternoon out on the beach just playing or resting or being in the water, whatever you like to do at the beach. Consider coming, and it's a steal for $215, I think is what it is. Um, so yeah, consider that. And I know it's a risk um, being with folks, the same people all week, but it will be worth it. Uh, I, I can promise you that. So th think about coming. And then you've also heard us talk about ministry team. Um, this ministry is about you guys, not, not about the staff. Uh, so we, we need students to lead this and to care about it enough to actually make this happen. So I'd love for you to think about and pray about uh, would God be calling you into a leadership role here? Find one of us, staff or ministry team. Would you put your hands up? And staff, why don't you do that too? So any of these folks can answer questions you would have about ministry team. Um, but it's, it's a leadership kind of commitment level, but they're the ones that make this go. Um, so if, if yeah, you would want to ask questions about that or know more about that, find one of us. Um, and then there's some things we can put in your hands so you can know more about that. Well, we're going to spend the next 25 or 30 minutes talking about the Bible because it's good because through it, God speaks. Uh, it's also for our good. And so it's a privilege to be able to learn from it. Um, I'm not here pretending that we understand everything about it. I don't. Um, and I've, I've been to seminary as if that means something. Um, but yeah, it, it, none of us have it all together. And so if you have questions, you have doubts, that kind of makes you human. And so just, again, find one of us uh, that had our hands up just a few minutes ago. We'd love to talk with you about some of those questions. 
Um, but don't try to go it alone. God hasn't made us to, to do it alone. Um, we, we do best in community. So let's walk together in community. Uh, <clears throat> some of you might, might know some of this story, uh, but several years ago, my son and his wife were making a move to Atlanta. They were just north of Lexington, Lexington, Virginia, not Kentucky. Um, so just about a, an hour south of here when the U-Haul uh, blew a tire, which caused my daughter-in-law, Jessie, to lose control. Uh, she hit an embankment. The truck ended up flipping several times and all their belongings spilled out all over Interstate 81, shut, totally shut down southbound um, 81. My, my son Austin was driving the car of, of head of, ahead of her. Um, they had been married at that point, I think only about two months. He watched, he watched it all happen in his rear view mirror. He told me later that as he stopped and sprinted back to what was left of the truck, he said, Dad, I was wondering if I was running back to my dead wife. Miraculously, Jesse made it out, not only alive, but with just scratches, and, and no one else was involved, like no one else got hurt in that. So very miraculous. Since, since that day, Austin and I and our family have reflected many times on God's kindness in all of that and how that played out. Kindness in how God protected Jesse. Kindness in bringing a total stranger who stopped to help until the emergency vehicles arrived. Still don't know that person's name, their vocation, even what they were driving. We just know there was someone there. Don't know if it was an angel or a person to help in a time of deep crisis. Kindness in bringing two local pastor friends to the hospital where Jesse was taken. And, and they were there even as the ambulance arrived, like they beat the ambulance. So they were there the entire time they were at the hospital. Um, that, that was God's kindness to have someone there to care for them. Kindness in um, my RUF boss, I called him pretty quickly because they were moving to do the RUF internship down in Atlanta. And he said, Joe, whatever your insurance doesn't cover, we will cover it. Everything will be covered the truck, the belongings. I mean, they had just had their wedding, so all their wedding gifts were in there and now strewn all over Interstate 81. Um, he said, do not worry a thing about any of that. We will get it covered. The kindness that we saw from all these angles and more that I haven't told you was just, I mean, okay, I'll add one more. We, we even had folks from our church come to our house and take loads of laundry because everything was like out on, on the, the shoulder and in the dirt and they used backhoes to pick that, those accidents up. So like it all got mixed in with, with their clothes and stuff. So people were coming to our house to offer to wash stuff. It was, it was just overwhelming. Numerous times I, was just, I would just stand there and weep at God's kindness to us. We were covered with God's kindness through it all. And it was kindness that I would look back and say gave us the courage and the hope to get through that. Well, as you've probably figured out, we're going to talk about kindness tonight. Here's how one pastor defined kindness. 
Kindness is a supernaturally generous orientation of our hearts toward other people, even when they don't deserve it and don't love us in return. A supernaturally generous orientation of our hearts toward other people, even when they don't deserve it and don't love us in return. Kindness is a force. It has the power to change hearts and lives and ultimately the world. And as you heard in the definition, kindness is supernatural, which means God by his spirit has to produce it in us, which is why it's here in Galatians 5 in the list that we've been looking at this semester, the fruit of the spirit. God's spirit has to do this in us. So listen to, to Galatians 5, 22 through 23. We've been reading this every week to kind of recenter us and reframe us on this list. And then we'll take a different passage and look at, at that passage and what it says about that particular fruit. So we're going to do both of those again tonight. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And now for a, a picture of kindness, turn to 2 Samuel 9 if you have a Bible or you can just read on the, the screen behind me. And some of you are going to recognize this because we actually, we actually went through this passage about a year ago and we, we kind of looked at it through the lens of God's grace, which is, is going to come up tonight. But I want to look at it from kind of a different angle, which is just simply kindness. So grace will come up, but we're going to look at it mainly from the lens of kindness. So here we go. Second Samuel 9, and we'll do the whole chapter. Y'all got it there? And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? By the way, if you don't know these characters, I'm gonna, I'll give you a backstory here in a second. And David said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. By the way, Jonathan is the son of Saul, so he's answering the question. Um, he's basically saying, Yes, there's a grandson who is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. 
And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. I want to talk about three qualities of kindness that we see in this text. First, kindness does the unexpected. Second, kindness is generous. And then last, kindness is freely given. So kindness does the unexpected. Kindness is generous and kindness is freely given. Let's start with kindness does the unexpected. We see from the the passage here that David was wanting to show kindness to someone who was of the house of Saul, which is crazy because Saul was the king previous to David and his relationship with David wasn't exactly a good one. He even tried several times to kill David. So kindness in this sake for, for David, or in this case for David, wasn't wise or safe, and it surely wasn't how kings stayed in power. What we would have expected from David would be for him to eliminate any and all who would be a threat to his throne. And who would be a greater threat than a descendant of the previous king, which is exactly what Mephibosheth was. But here we see David wanting to show kindness to the house of Saul for the sake of Jonathan. Now, Jonathan was Saul's son and best friend of David, who who had since passed. So David had made a promise to Jonathan, I will care for you and for your descendants. And so David is simply remaining true to the promise that he made to Jonathan. And so in his kindness, he called for Ziba, a servant of the house of Saul, and he asked if there was anyone left. And Ziba said, yes, there is, in fact, and his name is Mephibosheth, and he lives, and I think it's about 15 miles, which, like, in a car is not that bad, but in that day, like, that's a long distance. Like, that would be Winchester or, like, so think a little farther than what we would normally think. Because he's living in Lodabar, and so David then sent for Mephibosheth. Now, Think about this for a second. You're Mephibosheth and you're kind of hanging out under the radar away from Jerusalem where the king and his palace are. And you hear the hoofbeats coming down the street and then you hear the knock at your door. And you know who you are. How are you feeling right now? You're, You're terrified. This is the knock. This is the day that you've dreaded. And you get a hint of it when he actually is in the presence of the king. Do you remember or do you see there what what King David said to him? What's the first thing David says to him? Don't fear. Why would he have to say that? Because he's terrified. He's in fear. And you actually see it in Mephibosheth's words too. What What did he say about himself? See it there? Who am I that you would regard a dead dog such as I? He was terrified. He knew he was as good as dead. But David did the unexpected. And he showed kindness. Not only did he not punish Mephibosheth, but he blessed him. He gave to him. David did 
the unexpected. Alastair Begg, one of my favorite pastors to listen to, says this about this text. What Mephibosheth expected, he didn't receive. And what he received, he didn't deserve. What Mephibosheth expected, he didn't receive. And what he received, he didn't deserve. About 15 years ago, I was serving at a church as a youth pastor. We had just finished up a big event at the church. This event would, would have like seven or 800 people at it. It was late. My youth team was there to help clean up. And everyone had left except me and one of my student leaders. And we were getting close to being done with the cleanup. And she looked at me and she, she said, is there anything else that I can do? And I said, I can't think of it. Anything going home? To which she replied, are you leaving? And, and those three words stunned me. This was a 16-year-old. I had just given her an out that anyone else would have taken. But here's what stunned me. She cared enough about me to not leave me to do the rest. She wasn't going to stop helping until we were both walking out the door. It was very unexpected. And it was a deep kindness to me. So much so that here I am talking about it 15 years later. Stuck with me. Kindness is powerful. And kindness does the unexpected. So how can you show kindness in doing the unexpected? You can pray for those who've betrayed you. You can bless those who've hurt you. You can befriend someone who's lonely. You can welcome someone who's on the outside. You can serve someone with an are you leaving kind of attitude. I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you tonight to look for ways to do the unexpected in showing kindness. Because that's what kindness does. It does the unexpected. And not only does kindness do the unexpected, but kindness is generous. Kindness is generous. Did you see the extraordinary generosity of David's kindness in this text? Look, look again at verse 7. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. So th think about this for a minute. Mephibosheth's out there in Lodabar hiding out. And by the way, Dabar means thing. Lo means no. So Mephibosheth's hanging out in a town called nothing. <laughs> He's a nobody in no thing, and that's what he wants. He wants to be below the radar. He made his home in nothing, in no thing, in hopes of never to be found. And yet when he was found, look at what David did for him. He was given land, he was given servants, he was given King Saul's inheritance, 
And he was given better than all of those, a permanent seat at the table of the king. The text, in fact, in fact, tells us twice that Mephibosheth ate always at the king's table. The narrators basically saying, make like, don't don't miss this. Don't mistake this. He ate always at the king's table. He went from fugitive to family in a day. And all because of David's generous kindness. I think my hardest moment in ministry came about 10 years ago in the deep and public betrayal of a close friend. Another friend knew I was struggling badly and he called me one morning and it was was a morning I was pretty low. His first words were, how are you doing? And for what felt like an eternity, I couldn't speak because the dam was about to break. Y'all know that, that feeling like you want to answer that question because the longer you don't, it gets awkward. But you know if you do, it might get more awkward because of how you're going to respond. And then the dam broke, and I cried like I've never cried before. And I have no idea what I said to him in the middle of that meltdown. But here was his response, and I'll never forget it. He said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take a long weekend and get away with your wife. And if you tell me you can't afford it, I will cover it. And if you tell me you can't afford a sitter for your kids, all our kids were in the house and young at that point. If you tell me you can't afford a sitter for your kids, I will cover it. And if you tell me you can't find a sitter, my wife and I will come and cover it. Listen, his call just to check up on me, just to say, how are you doing? would have been enough to be nice and thoughtful, right? But to cover the cost of, of a long weekend getaway, to pay for a sitter or to be that sitter for my kids, that's <laughs> generous kindness. Because kindness is generous. And this generous kindness is modeled most supremely by God himself, isn't it? Y- y'all know I'm Ephesians 2 obsessed. So listen to some of these verses yet again from Ephesians 2. They'll be on the screen behind me. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great phrase? the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. God is rich in mercy. 
and his kindness is immeasurable. Listen to me. Believe this. Bank your life on it, and it will set you free from fear. It will set you free from greed, from self-centeredness, from being a prisoner to your comfort zone, and all the other reasons you withhold generous kindness. Here's the key that will unlock that. All those things. And yes, generous kindness requires sacrifice. But we can give it freely knowing that God's resources are limitless. Because he is rich in mercy and boundless in kindness. So kindness does the unexpected. Kindness is generous and kindness is freely given. It's freely given. David's kindness to Mephibosheth here wasn't based on any merits or deserving on Mephibosheth's part. David didn't look at Mephibosheth and his tithing to the temple or his community service record. He didn't consider Mephibosheth's pedigree or his family name. In fact, that would have worked against him. David's kindness wasn't earned. It was simply given. And it was given freely. And not only was David's kindness not earned, it also couldn't be paid back. Look, look there at uh, verse 3 and 13. Can you make that happen, Katie? What's the common detail in those two verses? The common detail about Mephibosheth in verse 3 and 13. What do we learn about him? Mephibosheth was crippled. He was lame in both feet. It says it twice in this passage and three other times in surrounding passages. So five times total. The writer wants us to know that Mephibosheth was helpless. He could bring nothing to the equation here. He couldn't help with the king's horses. He couldn't serve in the kitchen. He couldn't fight in his army. There was nothing he could do to repay the king's kindness. And that's the point. Because kindness is freely given. So think about this question for a second, and I, I do want to hear answers from y'all. How do we tend to make our kindness conditional? How or in what ways do we make our kindness conditional? Joanna, you are ready to go. What you got? Get something back. If, yeah, it, as, as long as we'll get something back. What else? Make it public. Uh, yeah, we want it to be seen. Yep. <coughs> How else? It doesn't interfere with as long as it doesn't interrupt my plans. Okay, so yeah, we might put a time limit on it or a, a boundary on it. Here's, here's the list I came up with. We base our kindness on, do I like the person? Will they be grateful? Will they love me back? Will others see and praise me? Will this advance my reputation? And so on and so on. 
when our kindness is given based on an expected response, let's call it what it is. It's a trade. It's like trading your cosmic brownie for a fruit roll-up in elementary school. It's give, well, actually, it would go the other way. I would, I would not. I would want the cosmic brownie in return, right? Okay, just want to make sure we're thinking right there. Let's call it what it is. It's giving to get, and that's, that's a trade. That's not kindness. Kindness looks at the one who forgot their lunch and gives them the cosmic brownie for nothing in return simply to bless the other out of love. That's kindness. Y'all are getting all my favorites tonight. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Onesiphorus. He's this random dude mentioned in the beginning of 2 Timothy and only one other time in all of Scripture. I was tempted to name one of my children Onesiphorus. My wife wasn't going to let that happen. <laughs> Here's what the Apostle Paul said about Onesiphorus. Got it? By the way, this is the end of 2 Timothy 1. You are aware, this is the Apostle Paul writing, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, also great names for your children if you want to consider um, <laughs> But, but seriously, this is a time of crisis for Paul. He's writing from prison and he's reflecting on, okay, so do you remember I said the hardest time for me in ministry, which is like 30 years of ministry, the hardest time is when I was betrayed. He's recounting a betrayal. And, and so he's not doing this lightly. And then he turns a corner and he says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Do you see it? This dude just showed up in the city of Rome and started asking questions. Hey, have you heard of that, that guy Paul? I heard he's in prison. Do you have any idea where that might be? And then he goes to the next street, and then the next street, and then the next street, until he finds him. Not only did he go out of his way to do that, but think about what he risked. Paul was in prison for his faith by identifying with Paul what's he risking. Same thing. Yeah, this very thing could happen to him. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service that he rendered in Ephesus. I love this picture because a no-name like Onesiphorus kept the Apostle Paul in business. Really. The Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of our New Testament who's the greatest church planner, greater, greatest missionary in all of church history, had somebody behind him holding him up. And, and probably several somebodies, but we at least know about one. Onesiphorus. But here's the thing. Paul could honor or offer Onesiphorus nothing in return. He's in prison. 
And so Onesiphorus sacrificed time and safety to encourage the Apostle Paul, expecting nothing in return. And by doing so, he blessed and he refreshed the greatest missionary and church planner the church has known. His kindness was powerful and it was freely given. As we close, look, look back at verses six and seven. I think they're kind of the heart of this passage. I'll, I'll read them again. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan said, uh, son of Saul came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of your father and you will eat at my table always. It's, it's, it's impossible to hear those words. It's impossible to read this chapter and not think of the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. Like Mephibosheth, we are of the enemy household. We are crippled and broken, hopeless and helpless in our sin. But God, but God brings us to himself and he calls us by name. And he shows us kindness for the sake of Christ, for the sake of another. Christ, and he restores us to himself, and he promise us a, promises us a land in eternity. We call that heaven, but there's a land that we're promised, and he has made us his dearly loved sons and daughters. Do you see the amazing, immeasurable, unthinkable kindness of Christ? Come to him and draw from his inexhaustible well of kindness as you live with kindness for this world. The picture I want to leave with you is be the bucket so full of the kindness of Christ that it spills over to everyone around you. Be that bucket that is so full with the kindness of God that everyone around you feels that because it's just spilling out of you. Let's pray to that end. Father, would you make us kind as you are kind? God, we can't do that. We can't muster that up in and of ourselves. We need your spirit to do that in us and for us. And God, would it, would it come forth from, would it proceed from a deep, deep well of our understanding and experience with your kindness to us. God, I pray that you give everyone in this room a believing heart. And then would you send us out as, as a, an army of kindness to love and bless the world? And would it be a powerful force for your glory in the good of all we come into contact with. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.